Yeah, got that on yep. candid camera. <laughs> Bro, come on, events are fucking happening. Wake the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Red Barricades, Alema's podcast. My name is Nemo Martin. I use they them pronouns. I am your host. And this, uh, uh, yesterday, I went to see this little known show. It's a musical. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Stevie. It's called Les Misérables. <laughs> What's it about? Um, uh, the French Revolution. <laughs> Voltaire was mentioned um, once, so that was really great. I hope you were really rowdy when they said Voltaire. <laughs> um it it was quite interesting this this cast um it was uh because Javert has been Bradley Jaden for a really long time but this is the first time in 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 quite a few years that I've seen a a non-Bradley Jaden and I was like oh yeah when you have an older man play him like he's really he's got um a, a gravitas to like you know he's an older man so it's like oh yeah you know and then he he played it quite safe he was quite a a standard Javert and at the end, he went really fucking out of his mind. It was quite funny. Like when the barricades, like until the until the barricades, he was a, just a sort of normal, like older man, Javert, very like playing it, hitting all the beats, not doing anything out there. And he got over the barricade and saw all of the barricade boys and just started falling apart and like oh. groaning and being like, ah, ah. and then he saw Gavroche and he was like. Ah. Oh. And he kept like going to everything and being like, ah, ah, and then saw the sewer grate and was like, ah. <laughs> I guess he got over there and was like, oh fuck, it's kids. Oh shit, it's children. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, it like really made the link between like why then he stunt like off, like when when he then confronts Jean Valjean and and Valjean is like, one more time, dude. Like I've got to get Marius home. <laughs> Javert's like unraveling there was like him just like making loads of noises <laughs> like, ah! and you could actually tell in real time as he was losing his mind and then it was like the most emo Javert jumping off the bridge I have ever seen oh he God. was just like so like um when he did his final it's either me or Valjean the like way he said Valjean was like so like I don't even have to know how to replicate it. Full of like, I cannot believe that this man exists in the world. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's, it's an interesting way of taking it. But yeah, that was funny. And then the the only other note, I, well, Andras is really good. Um, he had the most like, uh, I am so tired of these white boy shit. Mm. And I think that's because the current Marius is so pathetic. Meow, meow. He's so <laughs> wet. He's moist. Okay, he, so he's how we characterize him. Yes, he he is a damp, moist boy, uh-huh. and he's and I think that when you have uh, the Andras who's played so like because he is the only black man in the cast when he's looking at this group of white boys he really is like marius comes in and is like oh but you've never like like she was like a ghost to me andras's face was like oh my god <laughs> are we a group of boys looking to go to the opera now dude <laughs> and marius being like oh but you don't understand <laughs> <laughs> it was quite strong, and then the like Cosette as well. She it was the first time for a long time as well that I've seen a a white Cosette being so pathetic as well. And I was like, 
had to battle through the internalized misogyny, mm. like in my head, hearing you being like, you know, it's because that's right to be a fifteen-year-old girl mm-hmm. <laughs> and like be in love with this boy. Well, both they things so... to be true. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was quite like pathetic young girl, and he was pathetic wet boy, and it was just like, ah, oh, they're so moist together. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cosette is kind of in a different film yeah at that point like she does start in the same one when she's young and sad yeah at that point she is just like she's in her genre but marius (laughs) is kind of meant to be in a different genre if he's gonna be on the barricades he needs to be on the barricades (laughs) yeah that's true actually the the i think the way that she sung sings is the is the like most because it has the most vibrato in it. And mm. so when she comes on stage and is so in her own world, cornered off in her little corner, you really are like, oh my God, who is this girl? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my uh, five minute review of the current cast of... The Eponine was really strong as well. She she was powerful. I, I wasn't sure about her when she first started, but she really like grew through a, uh, a little drop of rain a little full of rain whatever the title is like she starts off really like unassuming and then by the end i was like oh shit like actual shivers for one of the first times um yeah so there was a uh i think they were spanish two girls sitting next to me and their reactions were so great <laughs> the entire time they were like oh, yeah. <laughs> and they kept being like oh, <laughs> Oh, I'm glad you had a a good time. Yeah, yeah. An interesting time. It's always good when people are reacting around me. Yeah. I do like re-watching something I've already seen and staring at the people around me, being Mm -hmm. like, is it actually funny? Is it just me? (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) Uh, This is Stevie. She, they pronouns. I don't have a thing, except when when are you taking... Ah, uh, why? See, <laughs> like this, Nemo. I, 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 as soon as we get back from Australia, then I will one hundred percent. Let's go. Yeah, we've kind of been like edging Sarah with this play for too long. <laughs> she like actively wants to see it as well. Maybe that's why we're taking so long. Whenever she is like, I don't know about this, we're like. No, but you have to, actually. <laughs> well, speaking of sharing, ah, uh-huh. elephant <laughs> that we live in. Uh-huh. So where I decided to cut us off, Hugo. <laughs> oh, yeah, Gavroche and Montparnasse had like, met up in the street. Um, and Gavroche was like, if you need a place to stay, I'm in an elephant, so come on by. I'm taking my children there anyway. <laughs> Bye. Oh, and that a policeman was nearby, so they were speaking in code. Mm. And there's a lot of that. Like these are long chapters, but they kind of almost seemed even longer because there's just like mad footnotes from Hugo because mm. he's like he. I don't know how, what it would look like in the French because I'll have what I would is like is French, but then there's a footnote with a different type of French. Okay. And then an English translation, and then like 
here's what Hugo was going for. Um, hmm. So that was really padding out just how many pages <laughs> I thought that I was having to read. Uh-huh. So we know an elephant is coming and that's where we're diving in. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, in the southwest corner of the Place de la Bastille, there is a monument, mm-hmm. a bizarre monument, that's already faded from the memories of Parisians. Uh, we say monument, although it's only a preparatory model. Oh, and as I'd like alluded to, so it was Napoleon's idea. Yeah, this monument, and it's this forty-foot elephant built out of timber and masonry, and it's got a tower on its back that looks like a house. And what it was painted green at one point. But now the heavens have painted it black by with time. Hmm. And it's basically kind of in squalor at this point. It's like made out of plaster and it's falling apart, like coming away in places. Um it's been constantly pissed on by drunk coachmen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no knowing what it meant. It was some kind of symbol of popular strength, probably. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's like in complete disrepair from what it what like whatever it was that Napoleon was going for originally. Mm. But now it belongs to the knight because it looks just lapidated grandeur, I guess. Mm. And so I think he's saying that in Hugo's time, it's been completely replaced. At least that is what I kind of got from this. Mm. That this misshapen, crude, squat, forbidding, majestic monument has disappeared. And in its place is a gigantic stove of sorts with a pipe with nine towers, more or less as the bourgeois replaces the feudal classes. So... What I think has happened is that there was a big elephant mm. monument. Now there's some sort of like industrial stove type cooking pot looking thing, and mm-hmm. Hugo's got op- opinions. Yeah, I mean, I it, it reminded me a lot of what's been happening at Elephant and Castle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh my god, and it's literally an elephant. Yeah, like for anyone who doesn't. No, Elephant and Castle is a very black area, and uh, it has an elephant with a castle on its back, a statue of it. And yeah, like, wasn't he, the... he was red? He was red, yeah. And over the last couple of years, because it was such a like uh, place to get cheap food and stuff, it immediately got gentrified, and now there's loads of stupidly expensive restaurants and uh, offices and businesses there, um, and they tore down... <laughs> all of the like uh stuff that made it good and yeah um but yeah so i feel like it's exactly the same thing happening to the exact same elephant monument which i did look up why it was called elephant and castle and according to this it's the first landlord may have chosen to name elephant and castle in homage to a group of medieval craftsmen who made swords and knives called the Worshipful Company of Cutlers. How is that related to elephants? Its crest, uh, it granted in 1622, showed an elephant carrying a castle. Okay. Oh, this fucking elephant can't catch a break. 
like <laughs> through time he keeps getting built and then yeah. going. Yeah, because he's like, people are beginning to understand that while there might be power in a boiler, there can be no authority except in the brain. In other words, what lead and drive the world are not locomotives but ideas. Harness locomotives to ideas, fair enough, but do not mistake the horse for the rider. Mm. The architect of this elephant had succeeded in creating something significant out of plaster. The architect of this stovepipe has succeeded in creating something insignificant out of bronze. Mm. <laughs> we do know about Hugo that he loves a restoration project. So <laughs> yeah. this like didn't come as a surprise to me that he was like really reading this whatever is there in his time, reading it for filth and being like, yeah. bring back our fucking dilapidated elephant. I, I I do like to imagine him as the host of some like um BBC two uh evening show about would home renovation. Be, he would be Kevin McLeod. <laughs> <laughs> like whenever Kevin McLeod like goes to someone's house and is just like I don't like what you've done. Yeah. I just don't like this big old fucking ice cube you've made. And they're just like, okay. And then there's like a special like on Hugo's house. And then it's like, dude, you've got like seven different types of velvet chair. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He's, he's got many, many opinions. Well, we've always known that about him, but uh, <laughs> a lot of them coming up actually. Mm. But yeah. So, oh, there's more about this monument. I didn't underline a lot of it because I was like, I'm not going to talk about it that much. And yet here I am. <laughs> um, this stovepipe, which has been given a pretentious... No, okay, not a pretentious name. Okay. Won't read it in that voice then. Portentious name. I see. The July Column. Um, this mm. misconceived monument of an abortive revolution was still encased in 1832 in a great mm. sheath of scaffolding we ourselves were sorry to see it go. Uh, I think he's saying he's sorry to see the scaffolding go. Yeah, I think so too. And fenced off behind a vast wooden enclosure that made the isolation of the elephant complete. So mm. there was many times in my reading today that I was like, Hugo would be so good on Drag Race for the library oh. is open, just read each other for Phil. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I kind of do love when he's a bitch. So, I guess enough about the stovepipe. Back to the elephant. Boo! Bring back the stovepipe. <laughs> Be more angry about the stovepipe. No, he lo- he loves this elephant. Um, may we slip a word in at this point <laughs> and remind you that we are talking about reality here. <laughs> Hugo interrupting himself. <laughs> Okay, yeah, no, Hugo, your own energy has got me back in it. I'm in it. I'm awake. We're here. We're here for it. Um, He's like, 20 years ago, there was a child that was caught inside this elephant um, and was charged before the magistrate's court of vagabondage and damage to a public monument. With that in mind, let us continue. So I guess he's like, you're going to, like, this isn't silly. The things I'm about to describe, they're not. It's real. As the kids are nearing this colossus elephant, which, yeah, like, did I say 40 feet? Oh, wow. Yeah, 40 feet. I can't foot. conceptualize 40 foot, yeah. to be honest. Even a seven foot man, I'm like, what is this? 
Yeah. Wait, actually, let's just quickly. How tall is a two-story house? There's a lot of wires over my keyboard, or I would check. Uh, 15 foot. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this fucking elephant. Yeah, I guess so. That is like a four-story. Five almost. Yeah. So yeah. huge. There's a. <laughs> what were you. Yeah, that's way bigger the, than I thought Napoleon, it was. Napoleon, what were you thinking? <laughs> Because I remember uh, seeing a thing of Tom Hooper being like, uh, I wish I could remember exactly how he worded his uh, design for uh, Les Mis. Grounded, but also hyper-reality. Yeah, yeah. With with the elephant that I was like, what is this? But actually, maybe he was more accurate. Like Every time that me and Nemo have come for some dude who's made a lame is it turns out <laughs> that they were just really doing a close reading yeah literally uh, the apology tour continues <laughs> um uh, uh apparently the 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 h in the hollywood sign is 49 feet tall i've not met her so i couldn't i couldn't but yeah i feel like you can see that thing from quite far away so so it's huge <laughs> Nine men is five. 50. There's a there's a a a, 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 a web page called measuringstuff.com slash how tall is fifty feet compared to a human. Nine men. That's that's yeah. he. That's yeah. So it's no wonder that Gavroche has to be like, don't be frightened, kids, of this monster looming in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> and he slips them through this little gap in a fence into the elephant's enclosure and helps the kids climb through and he finds a ladder that he props up against the leg of the elephant with remarkable strength and is like off you go then and the little boys are terrified and he's like oh like you don't need to be scared like look how easy it is and he just like mm. scrambles up like an adder slipping into a crevice <laughs> And then he's like, see? Uh, you'll see how cozy it is. Up you come. Hmm. And helps first the oldest one up by like leaning down and sort of like grasping his hand and he's coaxing them up. But also at this like coaxing them and then also like a mule driver with his mules, like <laughs> Keep going! <laughs> Go on! <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Uh, and pulls the first run through and then scrambles back down with the agility of a marmoset. <laughs> Grabs the five-year-old by the waist and just like tosses him up the ladder, um, pu- sort of pushing him along. Gets them both in and is like, this is my home, kids. Mm. And uh, Hugo just loves this elephant. The kindliness of giants... The benevolence of big things. This is why Jean Valjean is so big. Yeah. (laughs) This huge monument that contained an idea of the emperors had become a refuge to the street urchin. But also interesting because um, Madame Thénardier was described as being a giant and an ogre. But she's the opposite of uh, refuge to a street urchin. What purpose does... It serve some respectable citizens may ask of this elephant <laughs> to be cool. That's what purpose it serves. 
The purpose of saving from the cold, frost, hail, and rain and sheltering the winter wind. He just like this elephant's just like great. It's yeah, a shelter for children basically. Mm-hmm. Um, when there's no father, no food, no winter clothes, no roof. The purpose of lessening the failings of society. Uh huh. You piece of shit. Who asked what purpose? <laughs> It was as if the poor old mastodon, swarming with vermin and falling into oblivion, covered with warts, mold and ulcers, worm-eaten, abandoned, condemned, as if this colossal beggar of sorts, in the middle of the crossroads, had taken pity on the other beggar, the poor little pygmy, who went about his about with no shoes on his feet. Uh, the purpose th- That was the purpose the elephant of the bestial served. The idea of Napoleon, scorned by men, had been taken up by God. (laughs) Napoleon had wanted to embody the people. God had done something greater. He had housed the child in it. Yeah. So That's a pretty gnarly line. Yeah. He's just like, this was a sweet-ass elephant, and we've we've lost it to time. Yeah. I also think uh, that that line was very... um, uh, that meme of like tragic the worst man you know built the <laughs> coolest thing imaginable uh hugo about napoleon often mm-hmm. gavroche then covers up the little hole that they'd got through with a plank and he's like let's begin by telling the porter we're not at home he <laughs> in case we forget that he's a little comedian yeah and it's fucking dark in this elephant yeah <laughs> but he's got these so matches don't well chemical matches don't exist yet Mm. they have these few made lighters that sounds safe and cool yeah so what Gavroche has got is a bit of cord dipped in resin called a cellarat and that's what he's lit Mm. which doesn't make a huge amount of light but like it's better than nothing in this elephant carcass it provides that produces more smoke than illumination, but you can kind of get a dim view, and it really looks like they're inside a creature. Hmm. What Jonah must have felt in the biblical belly of the whale, because um, it's got like the wooden planks on the ceiling hmm. with those where they've like curved planks around it to make the shape, so it looks hmm. like they're in a rib cage, and all the like bits of plaster and debris that have fallen down look like viscera. And the spider's web stretching from one side to the other look like dusty diaphragms. And like in the corners, you can vaguely see these black big blobs that seem to be alive and scuttling about. I'm a scientist. I've dissected things before. (laughs) It's occasionally you're like, Hugo, I think you'd be a really good like horror writer. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever he's done a bit of a ghosty moment, it's like, you're quite good at at these descriptions, sir. (laughs) So the two the young the two young children huddle up and it was like, oh my god. (laughs) Basically. But Gavrosh is like, oh, they look scared. So the thing to do is like shake them up a bit and then that kind of like releases the fight or flight. Yeah. So he's like, what are you grousing about? Are we joking? Are you being fussy? Where are your manners? <laughs> I don't need to put up with this. And that that's a good way of dealing with fear 
<laughs> so the two kids are like, yeah, yeah, you're right. And they move closer to him. Um, mm. And he's touched in a fatherly way. And you're like, you're nine. <laughs> or whatever age it is that he is. Yeah. And he goes from grave to light. And is like, oh, nitwit, but affectionate. Um, mm. It's outside that's dark. And outside it's raining. And in here it isn't. So... Mm. You know, outside there's not even a moon, but in here I've got a candle, for goodness sake. <laughs> what more can you ask for? <laughs> and he directs them further into the room where his bed is. That is to say, <laughs> it was a mattress, a blanket, uh, and an alcove with co- with curtains. The mattress was a straw mat. The blanket was a strip of grey wool stuff. That was almost new. And the curtains are basically, he's made this like tripod structure that uh, Hugo describes as being like, uh, Yes. It, well, he, <laughs> I know this. <laughs> he says Eskimo's tent. Yeah. So that sort of three prong structure that's been covered in a lattice of copper mesh that you would use in like a aviary mm. so it's basically he's like constructed this little cage mm. and inside of that that's where his little nest is and the bottom of the mesh is weighed down with rocks so mm. he lifts those up to get into it and then immediately like once you're in puts the rocks back down so that you're properly caged in mm. It is quite funny. I mean, not funny. I mean, in my brain, I can uh, remember exactly where a slur is about to come in this book. You've been bruised here before. (laughs) Probably also that I'm always like, "Uh, um, so, and then uh, he does so. About to say, in his words. I was thinking about it the other day when I was like, because, yeah, whenever I do introduce my PhD to new people and I'm like, you know, I am one of the only people who I am the the first person. I'm hesitant to say the first person, but to talk about race in this novel. And I, I do sometimes think about it when people are like, oh, they're like, can't be that much. And I'm like, I feel like it comes up every time we talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's not like you're... Like, there's scenes where we're like, oh, imagine if this or whatever, where it's like, it can be construed that way. But it's very often it's that Hugo's like, (laughs) I mean, there's another one coming up really, really soon in the same reading that we're going to do today where I was like, what? (laughs) Again? Yeah. Oh, I remember why I was thinking about it because of the fact that the Andre Arsene in the Lehman's stage is Mm. black. That I was like, I wonder how many people in this audience are thinking, oh, this isn't accurate. Because yeah. Fontaine was also mixed race, and the red and black really changes when it's the the song red and black. Yeah. When it's a black dude being like, "We will not be slaves again." Yeah, <laughs> and and also the like, you know, red is good and black is bad. Um, and him singing that, mm. I was like, you know, the, uh, the 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 article I've talked about quite a lot by Sarah Whitfield, which was like, it's an irredeemable musical because there's no way to change the fact that the language is like this and by that same argument it's an irredeemable novel because it's so rooted in all of this stuff but yeah anyway <laughs> I, I, 
my semi-annual reminder <laughs> that that the work that I'm doing actually means something. <laughs> yeah. Someone's got to do it, and it only took... When was this thing fucking published? 1862. 150-ish years. Yeah. Woo! Woo! <laughs> well... It's been done in a timely manner, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's more of that to come. Don't worry. Hold out. Uh-huh. Um, but we've got other things to be sad about. <laughs> There's a plethora of them coming. Yeah. So all the kids are like huddled together on the mat. And, you know, they're, they're small children. But they couldn't have stood up right in this little construction. Um, Gavroche's like, get some shy. I'm going to put out the light of our candelabra now. <laughs> and one of the kids points at the netting and is like, oh, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's for the rats. Just get some shy. <laughs> don't, don't even worry about don't it. Don't even think about it. And then begins, we've had a little bit of it, but this was really beginning. Hugo's like, let me just pepper in how well I know slang. <laughs> I have a silly little voice. <laughs> that you've all been listening to for some time that this is my silly little accent that has been forged out of moving from the Midlands to the South and having my <laughs> working class <laughs> accent bullied out of me <laughs> and I can't go back to it now it's like it's it's gone too much <laughs> so I just can't say certain words <laughs> I can't uh, even say pet names without it sounding or at least sound, feeling like it sounds really stupid when I say them. So I'm going to pre- give you what he is, what our slang translations are, but it's going to sound fucking dumb in this uh-huh. little voice I have. Yeah. The we'll whole- just pretend that you're, sorry, you were about <laughs> to gear up towards it and I completely undermined you. No, please say. Um, pretend that you are Victor Hugo slumming it in, in to- like around all these little twelve-year-old boys. I think he would go for it harder than I. Like, I'm just gonna <laughs> give it to you flat. Okay. <laughs> I think he would really theater kid it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The whole storeroom full of it. You have to climb over a wall, and after each bit of slang, that that is, there is a. Uh-huh. Whole story. Just after you just have to uh-huh. climb over a whole wall, crawl through a window, get past a door to get to where there's like a ton of this netting stuff in a zoo. Mm. And then he always like tucking the little kids in as he's telling them about this. And what he's doing the little the little one first. He's like, oh, it's so lovely and warm. And he's like. Gavroche is eyeing the blanket with satisfaction. He's like, oh, that's also from the Jardin de Plans. Two, mm. I pinched it from the monkeys and the mat that they're laying on. That was the giraffes. Mm. It's like, the animals had all this. I took it away from them. They didn't mind. I told them it's for the elephant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, cute. Terrible. Sad. All of it, they're like, oh, we're looking after, we do look after uh, zoo animals better than children sometimes. He's like, you climb over the walls, you couldn't care less about the government, so there. Yeah. And the two kids are like in awe of him. They're like, wow, this vagabond who's like them, and nobody like them, who seems so wretched and yet all powerful, almost supernatural to them. 
because he's just like it's his like I don't give a shit attitude I guess um and this charming smile and they're like oh monsieur you're not afraid of the police then and he's like kid you don't say police you say bashes <laughs> and then the Gavroche texts the the older of the two children who's in the middle uh under the blanket like a mother might have done so we've got another character who's like a mother and a father both <laughs> and i guess because we he's recently like saw jean Valjean and had his little salmon to montparnasse mm. so it's like it's baby jean Valjean. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, I was also thinking about the the zoo thing as well and being like, human zoos were a thing at this point mm. as well to, to, to bring the racism back. Um, yeah, and, and was like wondering when... It, it's near... It's closer to Hugo writing... Uh, it's closer to Hugo time than this because this is set in 1832. One of the more famous examples quote unquote of Sartier Bartman uh, was in 1815 in France so not not to Gavroche time but yeah it's just like the language that Hugo is using mm. about them and and uh, uh, about Gavroche and these kids and the elephant and stuff and animalizing them and all of that kind of stuff so, yeah. yeah those like human zoos and like children's exhibits that went on for so long because mm. that was still going on when oh my god he was the fucking greatest showman again pt barnum yeah because they would like have like come look at the newborn babies yeah <laughs> all in a little row so i don't know just to why but I yeah, guess that we- was 1835 so not long after oh my god was he that far back <laughs> Yeah. I guess it, like, I didn't feel, when you watch the movie, (laughs) (laughs) you're like, how long ago was this? Wow. So I guess, no, so I guess this, yeah, this is very timely that we're like, we're looking at these kids, like, they're our little exhibit (laughs) to see how they're looking. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's also like, it's Hugo being a, being a rich white dude looking in and these you know he has a whole chapter about slang oh it's coming um being like wow marvel at Mm. these poor little urchin boys yeah and i guess he was just like this is all true um so a a vagabond was found in the elephant so yeah it's all yeah so yeah gavrush is like oh you know we'll, we'll be cozy in here eh and they're like oh yes looking up at gavrush with the expression of a rescued angel not going off on a Bible tangent, I don't have the time. <laughs> Just know that I really had to hold back. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. So the two children—they are starting to warm up, but like they had been wet through, I guess, from from the weather outside. So it's been a hard day for them. So they yeah. must start crying because Gavroche is like, "Why are you crying? Like, fine, your little brother is tiny, but uh, crying at your age, you fucking seven-year-old, is <laughs> stupid." <laughs> It's a hard knock life. Yeah. Uh, and the child's like, well, we have nowhere to stay. And Gavroche's like, kid, you don't say nowhere to stay. You say nowhere to dos. <laughs> Besides, we're, we're afraid of being all on our own out at night. It's like, you don't say night, you say dark time. I'm like, thank you, monsieur. 
Uh, and yeah, Gavroche was like, listen, you're like, you need to never snivel again over nothing. I'll take care of you, though. Um, oh, we're going to have so much fun. I'm going to take you to the barges in the summer. We're going to go to the theatre. Um, I've got tickets. I know some actors. I was even in a play once. I'll get you a job at my theatre. And we'll so, oh, yeah, here it is. We'll go and see the savages. Yeah. They're not real savages, these ones. They wear pink melots that wrinkle and you can see where their elbows have been darned through with white thread so Mm. i don't actually i assume you have more to explain for that because i don't know what what it means nope okay now (laughs) i just assumed whatever like seven has come up that you would have written 10 paragraphs yeah i mean i i um categorized these ones in the paragraph but didn't specifically was it melos M A I L O T S. Uh, tights for dancers or gymnasts. Oh. Like a jersey. A woman's one piece bathing suit. So essentially, they're in a like morph suit. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that they're doing blackface. Okay. By the fact that the morph suits, which make them look like darker skinned people, are, are like darned with the wrong color. Okay, then why are they pink? I guess I'm assuming. I think mm. of pink. The pink that comes to mind is like a blush pink. Mm. But maybe that isn't so. Maybe like I don't know. Um, I'm trying to remember like what the caricature of like uh South American. Yeah, because if if it was that whole like red skin thing, yeah, if it's the like if pink is in like warm, yeah, just trying to make it make sense with the savages line. Yeah, I think that might be more what it is. Uh huh. We know some race is happening, but we don't really understand where he's going. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I feel like okay, yeah. You've made it made more sense that I was like, something's happening here. I'm sure mm. it's not good, but I mm. am thrown mm. off by the darned white thread. Mm-mm. And he's like, and then after that, we'll go to the opera. Um, oh, I mean, there, there was also the stereotype of being like heavily tattooed or, or using war paint and face paint and things like that. So that might also be why the like color. Okay. So that as in they've like dressed people up to look more like a show that someone would want to see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Make them look more savage. Yeah. Okay. And he's like, and then we'll go and watch the guillotine work. I'll show you the executioner. I know where he lives. <laughs> <laughs> so they've got a full itinerary of delights. <laughs> I feel like that's like a day that I would plan for someone who doesn't live in London. And they're like, wait, wait, sorry. What? The public killings? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, you don't know about the public killings. So uh, yeah, so Yeah, for real. Uh, but then uh some of the wax from his little candle thing mm. drips on his hand and he's like, Oh wait, uh we need to put this light out because like, I cannot afford more than a sou of lighting a month. Um yeah. so you just need to go to sleep. Uh besides the light might show through the cracks in the carriage entrance and the bashes uh would might see it, and the older boy's like, "A spark might also fall on the straw." Yeah, <laughs> we must be careful not to burn the house down. 
The garage was like, we don't say burn the house down, you say fry the gas. <laughs> the storm intensifies and Garbrush is like, oh, you know, I kind of like hearing the rain coming in. Winter's a fool. It's wasting its reserves and its time. It can't win us. Uh, and that's what's making it grumble. Silly old water carrier. And then thunder's going and that spooks the children, the two smaller children again. And Gavrosh is like, don't wreck the place, like, steady on. <laughs> Bravo, God, that was some good lighting. Yeah, that's Stevie going to any show that's as well. <laughs> and being like, boo, this lighting's bad. Where's my blue light followed inexplicably by the most yellow light <laughs> that I've ever seen <laughs> in the same scene? Well, this is some good lighting, so bravo. Tucks the kids back down and he has to resettle the, the netting that's around them. And it's like, well, since the good lord is lighting his candle, I'll blow mine out. Children, you must go to sleep now. My young humans. <laughs> puts puts them back down to sleep. Once he like he he, he like sasses them, but then like is constantly just like checking that they're like tucked in properly, like properly mm. looking over them. It's really sweet. <laughs> Uh, make sure they're lying comfortably. It's like, get some shut eye. But as soon as the candle, he extinguishes the candle stub. The netting that they're under is disturbed by strange shaking and scrabbling that produced a metallic sound, like teeth gnawing on copper wire. Mm. And the older of the two children's already fallen asleep, but the younger one's like, ah, what's all this? <laughs> It's rats, says Gavroche. Uh, indeed, the rats in their teeming thousands inside the elephant carcass, which were the live black blobs that we have already mentioned, uh, which were being kept at distance by the flame of the candle. Now that it's gone out, this cavern, their city, as it were, was restored to darkness. Mm. And they're basically scenting fresh meat mm. and climbing all over their little structure <laughs> and biting at the mesh and the little one's like monsieur <laughs> what's rats okay, I'm like, oh they're mice and he's like okay like he's seen little white mice before and isn't hasn't been afraid of those he was like monsieur why don't you have a cat Gavrosh was like well i did have one uh but they <laughs> ate it <laughs> he's like monsieur <laughs> who was it that got eaten oh the cat who was it that ate the cat? The rats. The mice? <laughs> yes, the rats. And the kid had like started to feel a bit better when he was like, oh, imagining like a little white field mouse. Yeah. Um, it's like, <laughs> feeling afraid again. <laughs> it's like, uh, why would those mice, would those mice eat us as well? And he's like, wouldn't they just? <laughs> It was like, look, don't be afraid. They can't get in. Besides, I'm right here. Look, hold my hand. Uh, hush now. Mm. Go to sleep. And like reaches across to hold the little boy's hand. And that really reassures him. Courage and strength are mysteriously transmitted. So they just like cuddle up and go to sleep while these fucking rats <laughs> trying to get at them. And meanwhile, time is going by outside. And... The it's like terrible weather out there. Patrols are searching doorways and alleyways and secluded areas and dark corners looking for nocturnal vagrants and silently passing by the elephant. So they are safe, but if they were outside, I guess the police would just be like, 
get the fuck out. And you're like, where would they go? Mm. In order to understand what is to follow, remember that at the time, the Bastille guardhouse was situated at the other end of the square. Yeah, right. You're like, oh, thank God that I know that the, it was at the other end of the square to where it is for you now, Hugo. But you know that if we knew Paris well enough, that we'd be like, um, Hugo, uh, the Bastille is on the other end. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> so I guess he's just covering his tracks. So what takes place near the elephant could be neither seen nor heard by the Night Watch. It's an hour before dawn draws to a close and a man comes running out of Rue Saint-Antoine and runs basically yeah to the elephant and makes this noise in no human language that only a parakeet could have imitated and yet he goes like I will do my best to spell it out the following spelling can barely convey any notion kiri kiri cute <laughs> perfect that's everything that i needed thank you this was a a four-year game plan to make you stevie say those words out loud kiri kikyu uh and he has to do this twice and then you hear a cheerful young voice be like oh yes (laughs) and the plank that had been covering the little hole that in the elephant that that's how the kids go in and out it's moved out the way. Gavros slides down the elephant's leg. The man was Montparnasse. <gasps> Montparnasse is like, we need you. Come and give us a hand. And he doesn't even need anything further than that. He's like, yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> and they head off towards the Rue Saint-Antoine, which is where Montparnasse had come from. And that chapter finally ends. <laughs> and then <laughs> we get... The vicissitudes of escape. Mm-hmm. So, while Gavroche was leading the kids to his elephant and all settling down to sleep, at the same time, in the heist film, because we're at the next mm-hmm. heist portion of the book, yeah. an escape had been planned jointly by Bebe, Brujon, Guillemin, and mm-hmm. Thenardier. Although Tanadio was in solitary confinement. As we know, Bebe had gotten himself out that morning. Mm -hmm. At some point that day, um, because Montparnasse had told Gavroche that Montparnasse is supposed to help them from the outside. There's been like a month that Brujan has been preparing for this. He's been weaving a rope. And there's so much in this chapter especially about layouts of rooms Mm. that I may gloss over a lot. (laughs) How dare you? The layouts of the rooms are the most important part (laughs) of this fucking novel, Stevie. Of the whole novel. What are our map makers meant to do? (laughs) Exactly. Have you not listened to Trice Forgotten? (laughs) In the... Okay. Kuga gives us a description of what a cell used to be like in the old days Mm -hmm. which was four stone walls stone ceiling stone flagged floor camp bed grated window ironclad door and they were called dungeons but the dungeons were judged to be too dreadful so now they're composed of an iron door grated window a camp bed 
stone floor, stone walls, stone ceiling. So the same shit. Right. And they're called punishment cells. I see. Um, the drawback of these cells, which as we can see, they're not dungeons, mm-hmm. is that people who should be made to work are left to daydream. So I think he's reading for filth the prison system, which he does do. Yeah, yeah. So I guess get him, Hugo. Yeah, that's pretty righteous of you. Mm. So instead of being put to work in these particular cells, so this building that these boys, <laughs> the bad boy crew, are in, <laughs> is basically this one building, and it's called the new building, but it's actually the most shit-falling-apart old building. Yeah, they love to do it. Yeah. And this is where they like they put the uh, the hardest cases. So I guess instead of like having them going out and doing work, they're kind of just like, no, we've got to keep these bad boys locked up to daydream. So he's had a lot of time to make his rope. And then he found a nail. Hmm. A nail means freedom. And you're like, yeah, I feel like a nail is something that we shouldn't, you'd think the police wouldn't want laying around. Yeah. But I guess if it is the most dilapidated wing, then it's just like nails yeah. lying around everywhere. It's just there. Mm. Yeah. Well, but then they're going to allow something even goofier in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is time we formed a complete picture of Brujon. Yeah. An apparently delicate constitution with a deeply cultivated languidness. He's well-mannered, intelligent bruiser and thief, who had a gentle look in his eye, which is intentional, and a ghastly smile, which is natural. Hmm. He he's really into lead stripping. He's like made an art form of it, which is when you take the gutters to pieces mm-hmm. off roofs, which is useful for him because at that time, roofers were relaying uh, parts of the prison's roof tiles which means that there's like ladders and scaffolding about. Mm. In other words, bridges and stairways to freedom. Mm. So this is like perfect for him, a boy who's good on a roof. Mm. Yeah, this new building is a piece of shit. (laughs) The prison's weak spot. That's why we put all of our worst cases there. Yep. Those facing the most serious charges are put in there. And then in there, there's four dormitories, one on top of the other, with a garret called Bel Air, so of course I had the Fresh Prince theme song in my head the whole time this was happening. Of course. Um, a large chimney flew, went from the ground floor through all four, four stories, dividing them all into two. So Gulimer and Brujan were in the same dormitory, which means they're on the same floor. Each dormitory mm. is its own floor. From my understanding, you asked, you're getting the layouts. <laughs> I wasn't disassociating while you were saying the layouts. Um, I swear. That's what I fucking thought you would do. <laughs> the second I'm describing the stupid layout, I'm trying to disassociate while I'm saying it. <laughs> I would have I would have listened when I was editing. <laughs> So you, you do get a double experience of, of each episode, I guess. <laughs> the important information is that Guillaume and Brujan are on the same floor, mm-hmm. and Tenardier is directly above them in mm-hmm. Bel Air. Mm-hmm. The chimney comes out of the roof, the one that goes through the dormitories. So 
you're like, okay, I'm sure that this chimney that goes through every floor with these boys who are planning to break out is going to be very relevant <laughs> to the goings-on. No, goings it's completely not. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Tenardier's in soli solitary confinement, and he has been since the third night of February, but I can't remember what where we are now, so it could have been a while. I think uh, we were April when we were talking about Marius and Cazette. Mm, okay. So he's been in there for an amount of time. Mm. <laughs> but in that time, somehow, he's managed to procure a bottle of wine that has a narcotic <laughs> added to it. Uh-huh. God, why don't they bring back the time of opium in the wine? <laughs> no, imagine the time we would be having. <laughs> you would survive our trek to Australia so well. Yeah, that's true. So there are in many prisons treacherous employees part-time thieves who are involved in escapes sell their disloyal services to the police. Mm. The same night that Gavroche had picked up the two stray children, Brujon and Guillemet, knew that Babet had escaped that morning mm. and would be waiting for them in the street with Montparnasse. Mm. They get up and with the nail that Brujon had found, make a hole in the chimney. <laughs> okay. It's a very strong nail. Yeah, and I'm like... Because I've been picturing, like, an Ikea nail. <laughs> but maybe it's a nail as in, like, an old-timey nail. Yeah. It's making just, like, huge, longer than your hand, like a spike. Yeah, yeah, probably. Because I was imagining one of those, you know, the, like, when you imagine a wooden rafter and it has one of those, like, square spike nails yeah. in it. That's kind of what I was imagining because I was, like, dungeon and, like, it's the old mm. wing. So, like, when was it really built? So, like, one of those, like, 1600s nails. Something huge that you probably wouldn't want to leave with your <laughs> most dangerous boys in yeah. a cell. Yeah. Uh, but they just dig a whole ass hole in the chimney. Uh, and they make sure the detritus falls on Brujon's bed so it can't be heard. And the wet thunder is going on outside, which kind of covers up any sounds as well. And if any prisoners who woke up just pretend to go back to sleep and let mm. them let the two get on with it. <laughs> Brujon was deft. Guillemere was strong. Uh, they <laughs> explored each other's bodies. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of do have the time because they're fucking quick. Yeah. They are fucking quick. <laughs> hey, and slow, hey. and all the night long. Because I'm pretty sure it says it like, it, yeah, okay. It takes them three quarters of an hour from when they get out of bed with the nail in hand, like, okay, we're going <laughs> to dig this fucking hole to them. Yeah, we're going to dig that hole <laughs> with the nail in hand. <laughs> they... Dig their way out and then just climb up this chimney. Mm. There's a, a chasm six feet broad and 80 feet deep uh, separating them from the perimeter walkway. And with the rope that Brujon had been weaving in his dungeon, threw it across the perimeter walkway. And then they just like leap across the chasm, cling into the wall, straddling <gasps> it. Yeah. <laughs> Sliding around on the roof, pulling the rope after them, jumping down into the bathhouse courtyard, and basically escaping in like 45 minutes. So they did have time to explore each other's bodies. <laughs> Hell yeah. When they had been like jumping down 
from the bathhouse. A little bit of their rope. that They were like pulling the rope after them, but a tiny bit at the top broke off. Mm. Just know that. <laughs> okay, that can't come back to bite anyone. Yeah, as soon as Hugo was like, there's a bit of rope still up there, you're like, okay, <laughs> I'll remember this. Uh, left attached to the chimney on the roof. That apart, they had suffered no loss or injury, except having entirely chafed the skin of their hands. Oh, yeah. Well, it would just make their hands more sensitive when they're giving mm-hmm. each other hand jobs. <laughs> that night, <laughs> Tanadi had been tipped off. Nobody could explain how. Uh-huh. Not a one. And he wasn't asleep. He had seen two figures passing in front of the windows opposite his cage. Uh, it was Brujan, and Tenardier recognised him and understood. He did not need to be told anymore. So because Tenardier had been identified as a cutthroat and detained on charges of organising a nighttime ambush with threat of violence, he was kept under really extreme armed surveillance. <laughs> They're checking on him every two hours. They're switching out the boys who have to be staring at him constantly. Mm. And he's got on his feet a pair of fetters weighing 50 pounds mm. every day at 4 o'clock in the afternoon a guard escorted by two mastiffs this was still the practice at the time entered the cage left beside his bed a 2 pound loaf of black bread a jug of water and a bowl of thinnish gruel with a few beans in it mm. and Tenardier had obtained the permission to keep an iron spike what? That he used to nail his bread to a crack in the wall to save it from the rats. Okay. And you're like, yeah, that makes so much sense. <laughs> There's no other way to keep the bread from the rats at all. Some some boy some police boy was like, uh, would it be better to let him just have a wood like, okay, we'll give him a spike, but maybe what about just a wooden spike? Yeah. Or like a piece of cloth hung from the ceiling or... Anything else. Yeah. (laughs) But no. They're like, we check on him so often. This spike of iron (laughs) presents no risk. (laughs) I feel like I would accidentally stab myself with a spike of iron within like 30 seconds. You'd like Go to nail your bread up, I yeah. guess. And just immediately trip and we, we would both be dead. <laughs> yeah. But you're just like, he de- actually deserved to get out. Like, you were asking... For- <laughs> actually, you were asking for him to stab you. Yes, yeah, yeah. You deserve to die, really. Sorry to victim blame, but honestly... <laughs> just like, What? It's later remembered that that poor ignored fool was like, does it? Okay, but what if it was made of wood instead? (laughs) So two o'clock in the morning, that's when there's the next change of guard. And the sentry, who was an old soldier, was replaced by a conscript who was a very young boy. Country bumpkin looking, uh, someone described him as. Mm. And two hours after that, at four o'clock, the relief guard comes along and sees that country bumpkin asleep next to Tenardier's cage, where he'd fallen to the ground in a heap. And it actually 
turns out that Tenardier used his narcotic wine on him. Wow. Well, wow. I just assumed he'd fucking stabbed him. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about the narcotic wine. Oh, good job, Hugo. The the iron spike was a great distraction. <laughs> yeah. Cause he actually used his iron spike to make a hole in the ceiling and then another hole in the roof. So like these these men are digging holes really fast. Yeah. That I know if you're desperate, like you'd have to. But I'm also like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't think I could do it. <laughs> two hours ends up being quite a lot of time. Oh, I oh, guess I he guess... had two hours, yeah. Yeah. And there were two of them with Brujon and Babet? Yeah, so I guess that's why it only took them 45 minutes. Yeah. I guess they've said that this building is kind of shit, so maybe this the floors are really thin. Yeah, and like made of soft chalk. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> they could just gnaw their way through. <laughs> yeah, they find the half-empty bottle that you're like, did they not tell their boy not to drink the wine that he gives you? What is going on in this <laughs> fucking jail? And the soldier's bayonet has disappeared. So he's oh, armed as well. So great, great. job, everyone. <laughs> I like how three men so far have done exactly what Jean Valjean tried to do like 12 <laughs> times. Oh my god, this is true. You make it look so easy, Jean Valjean. <laughs> how embarrassed are you? He wanted it too much. Yeah, 19 years. God. Oh god. And they're just like, it took me 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like it's hard. Uh, uh, how's that make you feel, JBJ? <laughs> and then when they discover that this has happened, they're just like, oh, Tanadi is probably completely out of range. <laughs> and it's like, he's not even made his getaway yet. They're like, wow, it literally was just Javert keeping that place together. Yeah, genuinely, he's the only cop in France. <laughs> what is happening? I hope it gets. I want to. Like, I'm, I don't know, maybe Jean Valjean is, not Jean Valjean, maybe Javert's going to hear about this in a later chapter and I will get his live slug reaction. Mm -hmm. But if not, I want that fic of, like, I just, just literally just the Javert finding this out. Like, they, it, it took them for 45 minutes. <laughs> That's all it, and what were you doing? Oh, you gave him a spike. That's what starts the meltdown that leads to his later meltdown on the back yeah, that, yeah. that you witness. <laughs> so Tenardier, he's trying to make his escape across the roofs and he finds the remains of that rope that was tied to the chimney. But as we know, it was only a bit of the rope. So it's too short for him to shimmy down. So he's like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> Tenardier basically ends up on the top of a ruin and how did he get there couldn't fucking tell you <laughs> that you know. is what no one has ever been able to explain or understand <laughs> <laughs> bit of a cop out there but all right hugo's like was it like this with a wooden plank as a bridge surely not because of all of these reasons did he do it with the ladder? I mean, who knows? But here's why that also shouldn't have worked. Uh, impossible to escape either way. But inspired by that tremendous thirst for liberty that, you know, turns a sluggard into an athlete, a gouty cripple into a bird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Stupidity into instinct. 
instinct into intelligence and intelligence into genius. Tenardier, he's just come up with some third way that no one's ever found out and that I, Hugo, couldn't explain. And you know what? You can't always make sense of the miracles of escape. Yeah. (laughs) Says Hugo. So maybe it's better that we don't know. (laughs) Hmm. Well, again, bit of a cop-out. Yeah. Striving for deliverance is no less amazing than that winging towards a sublime. How did he manage to scale that wall? Just... As it is said of Cornel, how did he come by that? How should he have died? So he's like referencing Horace. I see. So I guess he just wanted to make a reference and was yeah. like, how do I set that up? I just My guy just fucking appears on a ruin. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, also the other standard writer thing, which is that you don't know how to do the situation and then you're like, oh, well, this guy who's a classic did it as well so but i need everyone to know that i'm definitely being clever and not being bad at writing <laughs> we know it must have been hard i guess because he's pale and exhausted so whatever it was he did <laughs> it wasn't easy you guys uh-huh. basically balancing on this like tiny little wall and as we said the rope he had was too short mm-hmm. so He's like quite high up as well. It's just like, oh shit. Full of terror of like falling, but also being caught. Uh, the paving was both death and freedom. And he's like, I wonder if my three boys have succeeded and if they've waited for me. <laughs> and he's looking around and he's like, oh, it doesn't look like it. Yeah. Um, four o'clock strikes, and that's when changing of the. Tenardier guard happens, so he mm. shudders because he's like, fuck. And yeah, the, the alarm goes up because they've noticed that he's gone missing. Mm. Doors are opening and shutting and lights are coming on. So he's on top of a wall, ten inches wide, stretched out under a downpour of the storm that's been going on. An abyss to his left, abyss to his right. It's inescape- incapable of moving. And he's like, did if I fall, caught if I stay. And then suddenly, in his anguish, he sees a man slinking close to the wall. And then he sees a second man walking just as warily. And then a third, and then a fourth. And they're standing directly below Tenardier. And he's listening in. And this is when we get so much slang and so many translations that basically one boy is like, what are we even doing here? And then another boy in a slightly different type of French slang is like it's fit it's ra- like it's raining super hard and the police are gonna be coming by. Um let's like let's not get ourselves arrested. Mm. And from the different types of slang they both use, so the type that one is using mm. basically means that he's from a certain area near the toll gates. Mm. Which means Tanadia's like, oh, it's Brujon because that's his slang. That's mm. his area. Mm. And the second one is from the temple district. So he's like, okay, that's Babe, who had been a secondhand dealer at the temple. Mm. The old-fashioned slang of the golden age is no longer <laughs> spoken except in the temple district. God. <laughs> and Babe was actually the only person to speak it in a really pure form. Oh, my God. My um, OC is better at slang than any other person. <laughs> Literally, my made-up boy who I wrote has the most <laughs> purest form of this language. Yeah. 
And then a third man's like, there's no hurry yet. Let's just wait a bit. Mm. And this is an ordinary French, which Thenardier recognizes as Montparnasse, who distinguishes himself by understanding all types of slang, but speaking none of them. Uh, yeah. And then the fourth is just silent. And he's like, Guillemin, <laughs> that's my boy. <laughs> His huge shoulders give him away. Yeah. And the, so they're basically like, <laughs> they're down there. The library is still open. Like, Thenardier is like an old man. Uh, this old this innkeeper I bet he hasn't even managed to escape like he won't be up to it it's work he doesn't know how to do and then the other one's like he's a novice he must have uh. taken him by a snitch uh, he's been recaptured believe me I'm not scared like he's just there's no way like he'll be doing his 20 years nothing more to be done so like we might as well just fucking go yes they should have left him yeah, Mum is like, no, you don't desert your friends when they're in trouble. Um, yeah, so they're all just like having it out over, do I stay or do I go? Mm-hmm. But Mum is like holding out kind of feebly because he's like, you know, there's honour among thieves about not abandoning each other. But we have been outside <laughs> the force all night. Yeah. Uh, in hope of like seeing scenario, but like you don't want to put yourself in too much danger. Mm. There's no point all of us ending yeah, up in prison. Guys, we got out. <laughs> Montparnasse himself, who was perhaps something of a son-in-law to Thenardier. Oh. Interesting intel. Yeah. Um, was ready to give up. And Thenardier's up on his bit of war panting like the shipwrecked survivors of the Medusa on their raft. Hmm. He he doesn't want to call out to them because he doesn't want to get caught so he just throws his bit of Brujon's rope down and just like hopes for the best and yeah you get the constant like in cord which is the temple slang macord <laughs> tollgate slang <laughs> so like in all these conversations they're all sort of speaking in their separate ways so mm-hmm. but there is a lot of characterization going on mm-hmm. um, which is easier to see written down or I guess had in the French than yeah when it's all in English and we have one way of saying those things. Yeah. Um, they're like, oh, it's him. They look up and see him. And they're like, okay, well, the ski down then. Uh, we've got a bit of rope down here, so let's tie the bits of rope together. We'll throw it up. Then he, you just going to tie it to the wall and come down. And is like, I'm frozen stiff. I'm like, oh, we'll get you warmed up. He's like, no, I can't move. It's like, oh, we'll just slide down. We'll catch you. <laughs> like, No. So they're like, okay, someone's going to have to climb up. And Brujan was like, oh, for fuck's sake, it's three stories. <laughs> so there's a another stove, I guess. So many stoves. I imagine a stovepipe, quite small, but they're like, someone climb up through it and they could fit huh. a child. So I guess it's more like a chimney. Yeah, like an industrial stove. Yeah, because Babe is like, climb through that pipe. Uh <laughs> No, it'd have to be a child. Mm. I'm like, well, where, where are we, we going to get one child? of those? <laughs> and Mopanas is like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> Don't even worry. And he runs off. And he's only gone for like eight minutes, but those are 8,000 centuries to Tenardier. Yeah, yeah. And he comes back with Gavroche. There's a lot of sassing back and forth. They're like, uh, okay, hi, kid. And Gavroche is like, a child like me is a man and a man like you are children yeah 
and they're like, you know what? Love that ready tongue. You, you, you're cool, kid. We want you to climb up this pipe, and that's it. Then tie this rope, and then up there, there's a man you'll be rescuing, and you'll and you'll do it. And he's like thick head, as if to be like, what an absurd question. And starts scrambling up there. He's just like up for whatever, I guess. Mm. They hand him the rope to go do that, and then as he's about to climb. Tenardier like looks down at his salvation and the daylight starting to glimmer in, so you, it like illuminates his face and Gavroche was like, Oh fancy that, it's me dad. <laughs> Not that that makes any difference. Cause I was like, imagine if he was like, actually no. Yeah. Wish sorry, I don't did. like this one. <laughs> yeah. But he's just like, Yeah, okay. Does the thing, climbs up there, ties the rope, Tenardier gets down. And as soon as he gets down, he's no longer afraid or anything. He's just like, Yeah, okay. Mm. all that strange and furious intelligence reawakened he's like now who are we gonna go eat (laughs) there is no need to explain the meaning of this horrible transparent word whose connotations Uh are to kill murder and rob to eat in its true sense to devour so he's just like ready to get straight back in it um And Rujan is like, let's lie low, maybe. <laughs> maybe like 30 seconds. Like... You've been out for not even a moment. Yeah. Um, he's like, let's settle this quickly and part company at once. There's a promising looking job in the Rue Pomay. <gasps> Deserted street, isolated house, garden gate falling to pieces. Women on their own, Jean Valjean. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, why not? Eponine's already gone to look it over. That girl's not stupid, said Tenardier. Still, we'll have we'll have to see. And as they're discussing things, it's like that none of them are aware that Gav- Gavroche is even there anymore. Um, mm. And he waits there for a few moments. Perhaps his father might turn to him. <gasps> and then he's like, okay, it's not happening. Is that all? You men don't need me anymore? You're all out of trouble? Uh, I'm off. I've got to go pick up my kids. <laughs> <sighs> So he trots off, um, and Babes took Tenardi aside and was like, did you notice that nipper? And he's like, what? He's like, the one that climbed up the wall and brought you the rope? He's like, not particularly. He's like, oh, I just, you know, thought you looked like your son. He's like, bah, you think so? And off he went. The bastard! (laughs) The worst character in the entire world. (sighs) And that's that on that. (sighs) Ending on a real sour note. Anger. Uh, you don't deserve him. Gavroche should have just left him up there. Yeah. Should have pushed him off. Actually, four... no. Not mm. pushed him off because then that's an easy death. Yeah. And the four boys should have just left him up there. Yeah, they should have done. He'd have got caught eventually. A cab except for when they're imprisoning <laughs> Tenardier. <laughs> Where were you, Javert, when we needed you most? <laughs> Where's your strict sense of the law and punishment? <laughs> when we need it. <laughs> when we desire it. He's yeah. busy scolding whoever allowed Tenardier a fucking spike. And also narcotic wine. Yeah, literally. They're like, oh yeah, it's fine for the prisoner to have that. That's That won't come back to hurt us in any way. Yeah, I'm sure it's fine. And he just wants to hang out. Uh... So much to think about. Yeah, it was a it was a a couple of solid plot chapters mm. where like themes came up and storyline happened. 
a lot was happening. It's about to slow the right the fuck down. Hell yeah, because I can sense it. <laughs> I can see that book seven slang chapter one origins. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, I can tell that I'm gonna be. I purposely took English literature and not English literature and language. Mm, I took Lit Lan. Okay, well then, why don't you fucking take the wheel on this one? <laughs> no. But yeah, everything was happening so much. Oh, Gavrosh. You're like, you completely see why he is a big uh, fan favorite. Yeah. That he shows up in a lot of the fics because you're like, he's just like a little lad. Yeah. So much to be sad about right now. <laughs> like, Let me <laughs> Every single week. On that note, <laughs> this has been Bread and Barricades, a Lewis podcast produced by me, Nima Martin, and Julian Yappe. It was a Clapton's Collections podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or quibbles about the prison system <laughs> or what kind of nail it was, um, you can email us, lamespodcast, L-E-S-M-I-S podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter, lamespodcast, or on Tumblr at Bread Barricades. Our sound designer is Jade, who you can find on her website, jdwasabi.com, or on her bandcamp, jdwasabi.bandcamp.com. And if you like the show, you can either donate to our Kofi or Patreon, or give us five stars on wherever you rate things. I think that was everything, so thank you for listening. Thank you. And Happy New Year, I guess. Oh yeah, 2023. enthusiasm for a better future yeah we'll walk out of let's assume that we (laughs) assume nothing hope we walked out of 2022 as easily as those four men walked out of their (laughs) solitary confinement (laughs) Uh. (laughs) 